What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Real Reality Realness with Brian K. James, the podcast where I, your host, Brian, interview figures in music, reality TV, and pop culture about their lives, their perspectives, and their platforms. Join me five days a week as I get to know some of my favorite people through their points of view and their journeys to their personal greatness. Lock in while I clock in, because we are about to get into it. Alrighty, welcome and welcome back to the show. This is Real Reality Realness. I am Brian K. James, and I put the mess in the message. I am so excited to have this person on the show today. They are a, they are a phenomenal drag artist, and they make up one half of the drag coven. And I cannot wait to get to know them better. Ladies, gentlemen, and every gender, or lack thereof, in between, join me in welcoming to the show, Courtney Conkers. How are you? Hello, I am so good and I'm so excited to be here. How are you? I am doing so good, so grateful. Thank you so much for making some time for me in your schedule and for taking my call today. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, thank you so much for thinking of me and being patient with my work-related rescheduling things, et cetera. (laughs) No, I understand. I, I am working with you you guys seven days a week at this point so i am coordinating with so many schedules it's like i have no choice but to be uh, as as understanding as possible at this point and you're one of the easy people so thank you so much oh i'm glad to hear that of course no problem yeah you're awesome so tell me what are you most looking forward to from this year um, I have a, I'm looking forward to a lot of things this upcoming year. We are in, you know, when that weird thing happens where you have a lull and it's good because you needed a break, but there's so much on the horizon and it's not necessarily pinned down yet, but it might be, but it might shift. And so you're not really sure, but it's all super exciting. I'm in kind of a position like that because there are so many things we might get to be involved in just individually and like as Drag Coven. And there's so much stuff coming up and it's making it a little hard to plan my life, but like, whatever, we thrive on chaos. We fly by the seat of our pants. That's like part of the gig. So some of the things we have coming up, like there's talk about new writing opportunities for me, which I'm really excited about. Like before we were in event planning and stuff, I was a writer by trade. Um, and it's one of my like only skills that I like didn't have to really hit the ground running to learn. I, it's like a natural talent for me. So I love doing it because I just, it's something I get a lot of joy out of. So that's exciting because I had kind of left it behind the last couple years in the pandemic and retraining and learning new things. But then we also have um, like as Drag Coven, we have more, more tour work potentially coming up with people I'm really, really, really excited about 
and it's like always kind of nice to get paid your value in like a repeat opportunity that you'd like to have more longevity in and that's kind of what it's developing into for us so we have some cool 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 tour opportunities coming up and i just think that especially in this like social climate and like this day and age for lack of a better term the more drag work and drag tours are happening and the more that like the gigs are thriving and the more we get to be involved in being like one of the moving cogs that helps that happen and documenting it and like taking whatever opportunity we can within that to like generate more work for our friends who are also drag artists like that's kind of what we get to do all in one and I'm and and that just like thrills me like I thrive on that shit can I swear <laughs> amazing we um, here stunning yeah that's like the fucking best for me like that's the way that touring gets us to do all these different things um and sort of get other people involved in and and also continue i mean what we do really is documenting drag and archiving it with drag heaven right so and like platforming all the different drag we can get our hands on in all different places so even if we're on like one tour with one cast and it's like one set show because we get to go to different cities like we get side opportunities to also do our little drag coven thing and that's that's i think the thing i'm most looking forward to this year is just the way that it's all um once it falls into place and gets all pinned down we're just set for such like an exciting chaotic year and i'm very much like a flight risk like i'm always chomping at the bit to go do more things especially in the middle of like a break period because like listen we all need rest and like i'm glad to have a break but i'm ready to like i'm my, my, I'm starting to rev up. I'm starting to get ready for just tour and travel and just drag, just so much drag. <laughs> you are speaking to my entire year. I think that's exactly how I came into 2023. There were so many opportunities, so many possibilities, so many things that were on the horizon, could be happening, could still be happening, may be happening. And, and even since the year has started, there have been new opportunities and excuse me, new things that have happened. And I'm just, you know, I'm trying to catch up to like the yep. rapid trajectory of my own work. Like it's crazy because, you know, you 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 put so much work into your art and the things that you do and you put so much into your craft. And then all of a sudden, all that work starts to catch up to you and it feels like it's coming out of nowhere. Yes, and like a tidal wave. And it's cool because like, I, I feel like, and you can probably relate to this, and I feel like a lot of freelancers and a lot of artists, particularly in weird little niche queer contexts, can relate to this. Like, we're all so used to putting in 450% and getting a fraction of that back in terms of um, pay, in terms of payoff, and in terms of like further opportunity. So when you hit a period where like that, those things start to align and stuff actually starts coming back to you, it's kind of shocking, especially if it's more than one thing at once, you're like, holy fuck, like this is, oh my God. Like, and I like to, I, I'm pretty bad for getting like imposter syndrome just because we did spend so many years like doing something that was regarded as weird and kind of being told like what we did didn't have a lot of value and and that kind of stuff and the positive has always outweighed the negative for me but the negative has certainly been there so I get imposter syndrome about it sometimes but I like to sort of actively choose delusional positivity about it in that the more opportunities are flooding my way, even if they're not the opportunities I was expecting or hoping for, or they're unexpected things I didn't really picture myself doing. So like, I'm a little scared or un, uh, unsure about it. 
even if they don't pan out and I don't end up pinning down the things that are on the horizon, the fact that that was a discussion that happened or like that was an opportunity that I, I could have had or almost had or was even considered for, I get really pumped about that. I'm like, okay, cool. We pin down what we can pin down. And if the rest of it doesn't work out, like maybe next time, because I just get really excited about the possibility of being able to do shit. Like I just like liking things and going places and doing things, <laughs> especially post lockdown. I mean, we're still very much in a pandemic and I'm super cognizant of that as like a chronically ill person. But at the same time, like as long as I'm taking care of myself and doing what I can, the fact that like entertainment is thriving again and we're even being offered opportunities after two years of losing literally, I mean, much like everybody else, we lost everything we had on the horizon. We lost all the opportunities. I literally panicked so hard. I got a third college degree because I, I and retrained in a new industry because I was worried I'd never work in drag again. So yeah going into a year that suddenly did have a lot of opportunity at the beginning that was in the field I actually want to be working in and have put like the last over eight years of my life into I'm just delusionally excited <laughs> you know I relate to that in a completely different way because I had a whole like three year span of, 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 of a drag career that I'll get to later. It's a whole different story, but we're not going to get sad right now. But, um, but um, in that though, like I've always wanted to be like a host, a broadcaster, an on-camera personality, doing things like that, like the host of 106 and Park, uh, TRL, the BET Awards, like, like, like stuff like that. My own yeah. talk show, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> like, like, I, like, I, I, like, that's always what I wanted to do. So then when I came back around on the other, on this side of COVID and then popped up and started this podcast, it was almost like the easiest thing within the hardest thing to do because yeah. it was like, who just ups and starts a podcast with no warning, no promotion, no connections, no followers, no nothing, just ups and starts a podcast. Sure, yeah, that's what we're doing. And then on top of that, you're leaving a YouTube channel where you have over 700 subscribers. And then you're like, no, I'm not gonna post here. I'm gonna start a podcast and start from zero. Mm -hmm. Just because. Listen. Sometimes it's what you got to do. Sometimes just the the inspiration and innovation strikes. And if it feels right, it feels right. And sometimes, you know, you're a little unstable and it doesn't result in bad things. It results in cool new things, right? So I say roll with it. I respect that. 10 million percent. And I'll say this to the people who are listening. On the other side of that, randomly up and starting a podcast in September of 2022, I've gotten the most opportunities that I've gotten in my career and had some of the most impactful conversations that I've ever had doing this podcast. Oh, I'm obsessed. I love that for you. And that feels so good. Like doing something like that. And like, even if it starts so small at first, generating something out of something you created. And even if, you know, not even necessarily like expectedly or like that was the plan, that feels so much better than sticking with something else that's not necessarily fulfilling you in the way you want anymore, just because it's comfortable. Even though the other one is scary and hard. <laughs> it's completely crazy. And, you know, with that being said, what do you feel like you're most excited to leave behind in 2022? Ooh. Mm. <laughs> I... Mm. Drop 
roll. <laughs> Listen, how much time do we have? Um, I got until four. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my work schedule being the limit, and I'm like, what do we do here? Um, so here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna get real down into like the the nuances of the drag industry because that's oh. just where I come from. I oh. love drag, and I love the people in drag. It I thrive on it. However, I think we all know that it, much like the wider entertainment industry, it's like a microcosm of that, right? There are systemic issues and problems, and there are people who play into that, and a lot of exploitation happens, and it can be a very difficult arena in which to thrive, particularly for anyone who is, among many other intersectional points of experience, anyone who is non-cis male. So, one of the things I would love to leave behind in 2022 is simply letting myself do most often free work for cis male people who are looking at me as though I am a little fangirl, um, someone that they can use to their advantage, someone who only has like sidekick status value or only has value insofar as I am providing them with something for free um, or anything that they feel they can get out of me without treating me as though I and my work are legitimate um, or worthy of respect. Because we've done a lot of working in our time with frankly, every single time we have this problem, it is cis male people who are at the top in terms of power and money and their ability to put things together and who most often as people who do not even do drag end up sort of putting a lot of the rest of us who are not cis male and or who are doing drag in positions where like we either feel indebted to them, we owe them something, um, they are, you know, doing all of these things that are maybe not the most respectful, but masking it as like generating opportunity or a you need me mentality. And the second you don't behave, I'm sorry if you hear a phone ringing in the background, the second you don't behave the way that they expect or want or need you to, suddenly you are the enemy, you are someone they're going to talk about behind your back you are not valuable to them, you are someone that they'll say unkind things to or take opportunity from out of like spite um, and not because you actually did anything. Um, that kind of thing, that kind of quote unquote opportunity, that kind of work is not something that I want to engage in anymore. And you know what? I even get why some of them do it because whatever, we're all like hurt little bullied queer kids and like not everybody's great at respecting those around them as a result because they haven't like healed and thought about <laughs> the way they engage with others yet. Um, and I don't want to take the responsibility off of anybody to do those things, but it's, it's just something that like I want to set a personal boundary for myself and like our work individually and as Drag Coven that like we're not going to do these free what are essentially favors for these people anymore simply because it feels like we have to engage in those things to generate more work for ourselves. When we were first beginning and drag was not the wider machine that it is now, you know, eight and a half years ago when we didn't really know what we were doing, it was if I didn't work for free, I didn't work because there wasn't a, a an arena in which what I was doing was viewed as legitimate paid work yet. And if I wanted to be out and I wanted to be involved and I wanted to network and I wanted to do those things, I had to do some work for free. I had to work with people who made me uncomfortable because those were the only options. 
I don't want to do that anymore. I think that we are above and beyond that now. I think that it's good and okay and valuable that we are above and beyond that now. And I think that we're also in a position where, like I said before, we are super fortunate in that sometimes we have the very unique experience to create opportunity for others out of the opportunities we are given. And if I'm going to continue doing that, and I particularly want to be doing that for like other younger, um, like non-cis male artists and like queer people who remind me kind of like of ourselves and the people we were friends with eight years ago, I want to do that in a venue where what I'm handing them is not the, sh the same kind of shit opportunity that comes with a lot of it, uh, limitations and expectations and unfair dynamics that we got back in the day. If I'm going to give myself opportunity and I'm going to take opportunities for myself and I'm going to pass that down the ladder to other people, um, I want it to be the right kind of stuff. I want to put that boundary with myself that I'm not doing that work for anybody anymore. I'm not going to be working with people who only see me as useful sometimes. That's, those days are done for me. I firmly want to leave that in 2022. And I, and I should have left it sooner. But, you know, I finally feel like we're on solid enough footing and our work kind of speaks for itself enough that I don't have to take those things anymore and I don't have to take that treatment anymore. And I can also say to people around me, hey, you don't have to take that treatment or that opportunity either. So that's what I would like to leave behind. <laughs> I am right there with you. I think that, you know, I think it, it's just something about this state in my life. I, I, I don't know if it's this podcast. I don't know if it's the fact that I'm, 31 now and I and like I just have a different mindset I don't know what that is for some reason I just like have that that tripled with the fact that I'm a Virgo I, I just do not have time for the bullshit like so yeah. for me it's like if we're gonna work then let's work if we're not then, then we're not and like if you're gonna like be around me be a good fucking person or get the fuck on somewhere like I really ain't got time for it yeah so and it's like, I take my work too seriously to be undervalued by somebody who doesn't even understand what goes into it. Absolutely. So. And like, I love that upfront, like nature and the way you just put it too. Cause like for me, I'm at a place, I'm already a pretty like blunt upfront person. Like I wanna write, I love communication. And if you can't do it, don't talk to me on my forehead. And I know communication is hard for people. And I know it's not people's favorite thing, but I would a million times rather someone come up to me and say like, Hey, this is like a problem I had. And therefore I am thinking, I don't wanna work with you anymore. And I will either learn something from that and say oh fuck yeah I did, did do that thing and I probably shouldn't have okay like thanks for telling me like either I won't do that again or I'll learn from this and we won't work together anymore and like I just have to eat that because I did or said a thing or it gives me an opportunity to say well actually here's what happened and we can work it out and salvage a good working relationship or learn from it and part on like better terms it's the same in the work world where like if you're not willing to like bring mutual respect and you're not willing to bring like clarification and good communication and that level of maturity and that kind of thing to me um and you can't speak to me without kicking and screaming and swearing and doing whatever or speaking to someone else behind my back instead of speaking to me or whatever like i I love what we do and I love when drag doesn't feel like work um, or whatever venue we are working in doesn't feel like work. Like occasionally we do events that like aren't drag, but it's, it's mostly drag. But um, like, mm -hmm. I love when it doesn't feel like work, but at the same time it's work and that's our livelihood. And, and I want it to be professional. And I think we can all benefit from, you know, not the standard stuffy, 
like cishet idea of what quote unquote professionalism needs to be because I don't value essentially any of that. But there's still like a level of respect it, that I expect in terms of like working in a professional setting. And if we can't meet that and we can't communicate, I'm just like, oh, I'm done with it. Oh, I don't have the energy for that anymore. Like, thanks, but no thanks. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There, 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 there comes a point where you build your platform up to a point and you have put the work in and you've kind of created the schedule for yourself where it's like, okay, like if you don't have to do that, then you don't have to do that. It's like, okay, cool, mm-hmm. fine. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Like, like we'll move on to the next thing. We'll come back to it. We'll circle back maybe if we get to it. If not, then I have other things to do. And it's like, I, like if you're not gonna, like, 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 like if it's just not gonna work, then it's just not gonna work. But I'm not trying to force a square peg into a round hole, bro. Like, exactly. And sometimes that's just okay. You know, it is what it is. And, and, and that's, the biggest part of it is like that is okay like like not every opportunity is for you not every collaboration is supposed to happen and not every you know situation is your situation maybe it was just supposed to connect you with that person so you know what not to do when you're next or you know whatever the case may be maybe you were just supposed to meet them for a different thing like who knows but Absolutely. like I, I, I think I've totally gotten to a point where it's like if it's just not organically working I'm not forcing anything. Absolutely. And I think that that's like a point that a lot of people I know in in a lot of different venues and endeavors and contexts are reaching. And it's not a sense of um, if it doesn't go my way, I'm going to give it up or I'm going to give it up in general. I definitely think that I and what I'm hearing from you and like what our friends are doing, there's it, it's still putting in the effort and the work and dealing with the discomfort it often takes to like navigate a setting like that. But at the same time, there's a point at which you go, exactly what you said, I'm not going to force this. If it's not working out, it's not working out. Thank you, but no thank you. And I actually think like I do value experiences like those. Um, I just want to make sure in the coming year that they're the lesser of the kind of experiences I'm having. You know what I mean? And like, I'm glad that we have those experiences to a point because like part of the reason we get hired for the things we get hired for now. And like, this is like a quote from a producer I spoke to last year is like, the, the experiences we've had and the things that we ended up dealing with and going through in the weird world of being like a fan friend, assistant worker kind of employed but not really but kind of doing the work and finding our space ourselves in these professional spaces whether we were hired or not and having to navigate sitting at those odd in between intersections that's part of part of what makes us so good at what we do because not only did like we sort of hit the ground running and in a hands-on way when we weren't even anticipating it not only did we learn how to for example be a good assistant or run a good event but because we've also slogged through the absolute mires of chaos uh you know with certain experiences we've had with certain people and in certain ways like we also learned in a very very hands-on way how to do it wrong and how it should not go and how people should not be spoken to or an event should not happen or a person should not treat their assistant or an assistant should not treat their talent or, or whatever it is like we've had all of those very bad experiences and so even though I don't I don't want to keep having them and I don't want to keep setting myself up to for those things to happen um I got a lot of knowledge from that and it literally has made me more employable because people who know where we've 
who've come from and who have seen us come up in a lot of this literally will say, oh, well, they know they know what mistakes not to make. Like they've, they've been there. So we know what to avoid as well. But yeah, at the end of the day, literally what you're saying, like, if it's not for me, it's not for me and that's okay. Cause I don't want to put myself there on purpose. <laughs> right, it's like, um, to, to, to say that is not to say that I am, you know, anti-compromise or anti, you know, meeting someone halfway or like changing mm-hmm. my idea or, 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 or you know, it, it, it's, it's not hard limit my way or the highway, but it's like at some point you have to know when it's like you're not going to agree on something. It's like there's only so much compromise that people are willing to give before they feel like they're sacrificing themselves. And nobody's willing to do that on either side. Absolutely. And it's like, it's nice when you find somebody who like sees that too, because sometimes it does take it from a potential confrontation or like unsatisfying compromise to like a really productive conversation. And then you like both move forward and whether you end up working together or not, it's like, that's a person in your professional or maybe even transferring into personal life that you like those are really valuable experiences. You know what I mean? Like if you can find a person that you can sit down and like really get into it with about like, hey, this is what I need. This is what I'm seeing from you. Here's how it is or is not what I'm expecting. Do I need to adjust my expectations or can you adjust to meet them? Like if you can find a person you can talk to like that in any sphere in your life, that's super important. It's a learning curve for everyone. And those are reliable people. Like those are people to hang on to, you know? Absolutely. Like I like I always say like, if I, I can find somebody like a, like a Benny Medina who I've heard be spoken of as all of those things. Oh my yep. God. Like, like I, I like, I, I want to be buried next to, like buried with them in the same, like <laughs> they're brave with me. Like, <laughs> manage my affairs in hell. I, 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 I mean heaven. Sorry. Heaven. Hang on. Hang on. Yes, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So, for the children who don't know, Sarah, this means you, sweetheart. Tell my audience, who is Courtney Conkers? Courtney Conkers is all of the things that I want to be despite or maybe in spite of what the world tells me I should be. So when I discovered drag, I like, I was on the track of like hitting all the little checkpoints that hegemonic life, heteronormative life tells you you're supposed to hit. And I was doing them on the time you're quote unquote supposed to do them. And it did not feel right. And I did not know why. And when I graduated my second degree and I was in like a quote unquote serious relationship that I didn't know how to feel about and I didn't know why it didn't feel right. I really just was like looking for any creative thing to like make me feel better and give me an outlet that wasn't just like work and family and my relationship and and my very like rigid typical friendships that I had at the time not that any of those things were bad but I felt like 
I was trying to fit into a mold that was like sort of the right shape, but like maybe not my size. And I, and I just couldn't figure out why it didn't work. And the more I don't, I'd always known about drag. I was a competitive dancer as a young child. Like you with ballet teachers, like the ones I had, you don't not know what drag is like. So I'd always known about drag, but I had known it about it as like an art form that was for other people who were not like me. And it was for gay men and it was for, you know, it wasn't for girls and it wasn't for I still thought I was straight at the time I thought I was straight maybe just a little bit weird and I didn't know why and I I just didn't know enough about or hadn't thought I'd done a lot of like academic studying of like queer theory and gender performativity and and those were the subjects I really thrived in and like I you know talking about like GNC topics and like queer challenging of like heteronormative society was where I like did my best work and I I never really sat and thought why are those the topics where I feel like fulfilled where I feel understood and where I'm like you know getting all this gain at school and in work about talking about these things if I'm not if I'm not part of that and I would sit there and be like am I problematic because I'm like a quote-unquote straight person talking about like queer theory as it applies to a b and c in life and like am I invading spaces I shouldn't be in and I no, I was fucking queer I just like didn't realize because like dating is a is a box I was ticking it wasn't something that I actually felt like invested in so I was just getting into the kind of relationships that I like thought the world saw me as being a person who should be in that kind of relationship. So I was just dating straight men because I had been told that I was a straight girl and like, that's what straight girls do. So I just never, I literally just like, I'm an active person. I grew up in like a military family. Like I always had a bazillion and a half hobbies. Like I just, I always had to remake my friends every two years. So I was like incredibly social and I was so busy trying to do all the things and have all the experiences and like tick all the boxes that I quite literally until I was like 25 never thought about who I actually was and when I started getting into drag and I started learning more about queerness from like inside and not as like something you read about in a book or write about in a thesis I was like Jesus Christ the answers have been in front of me the whole time (laughs) like and I started realizing that like this idea of like what a quote-unquote woman quote-unquote should do and what we're supposed to want and feel and, you know, do by a certain age or how we should do it or how we should look or how we should think about ourselves or how our bodies should look and function and what they should be doing and achieving and why and for whom. Like, it was all just bullshit. Like, I I hated it. It was like someone unlocked why I had been kind of miserable and the fact that I was kind of miserable and was just, like, fooling myself into thinking I wasn't because, like, I didn't think that I... I don't know. I had a lot of experiences with other people's mental health in terms of those being people I loved and me watching them go through it. But I never thought about myself as like being a person with mental health. Like it just didn't, I was just too busy to like really give myself the space to think about those things in regards to me. And then when I realized it all and all these things fell into place and I realized like my mental health was suffering because I didn't really know who I was because I hadn't thought about things like who do I actually love? Who do I actually want? Who do I actually want to be? What things do I love about myself? What parts of my life are feeding what parts of myself? I just realized it was all wrong. It was just, it was, it was, it was not 
bad and none of the people in my life were bad and I wasn't doing things that were bad, but none of it was right for me. And that realization was very much intrinsically linked to me learning more about and being able to experience drag and get to know the people that were in drag and engaging in it. And that sparked me learning about the history of drag and the fact that people of all genders have been doing all kinds of drag for all of time. And it wasn't just the very like mainstream understanding of drag is man wearing wig, like put on dress, lip sync and the, and that that there was so much more to it that that all really just culminated in me wanting to find a way to communicate myself to the world in all the ways that I like hadn't been up to that point and hadn't really had the opportunity to be but not because nobody anybody told me I couldn't I just didn't fucking get it it was like my brain hadn't developed that far and then I like woke up turned 25 and was like fuck like I figured it out let's go and I just hit the ground running and and it just developed into this character and that's like kind of what like being Courtney Conkers and like doing drag myself became for me was that like this was a tool through which I could finally communicate myself to the world the way I wanted to and experience the world the way that I should have been allowing myself to without limiting myself to like what I was told I quote unquote should do want feel be etc 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 and like the name Courtney Conkers didn't even come from drag originally it was because of like military family things and like I wasn't during a period in my family's time like wasn't supposed to have my surname online but I was writing a master's thesis that very heavily relied on social media so I like couldn't shut my social media down without losing my degree and I wasn't willing to do that so I came up with I just put Conkers as like a fake name so that people would it would stand out and people would still know who I was and still engage with me for my research but it wasn't my surname online. So when I got into drag, I was already calling myself by what was essentially a drag name. So I just kept it. It worked out really well for me. So um, yeah, and from there, like when we started Drag Coven, like already having my own sort of um, drag persona and it, for, for me, there isn't a lot of delineation between like my drag persona and like who I am during the day. There's essentially no delineation. And I know for some people that's not a good thing and they prefer to keep a separate character. But for me, I think I spent so much of my life being the separate character already that I was like, oh, no, I'm done with that. Like, exactly. yeah, exactly. Like, so that's what, what the, like becoming Courtney Conkers did for me. And from there, like, I mean, some of the experiences we have, like when I say we have experienced waves of misogyny and drag simply because of the time that we entered and like how I was still learning about myself when we got into it. Um, and, you know, Jamie, who I do drag coven with my best friend as well, like she's a little bit younger than me and she was still kind of also going through these like learning processes about herself and, and being able to like, have a distinctive like recognizable name and like already having that sort of drag persona coming into it and stuff like there were not at the time a lot of like queer femme non-cis male people who were like really vocally screaming about things like misogyny and drag and and, and other really important points not that we were paving ways or anything like that but there just weren't like a lot of us doing it there was like a handful of us really really talking about these things at a time where it was like a renaissance of of certain types of non-cis male, male people doing drag and people were going well it's such a trend and you know those people didn't do drag before and uh women didn't do drag as women and you know 10 years ago and da, 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 da. and like if you get into the history of drag 
that's all untrue. Like, yes, they did. It's just that queer femme erasure was a thing and stories of non-cis male, non-white people got, you know, largely left out of the narratives that led to what 10 years ago mainstream drag was supposed was was like understood to be um so like when we entered it was definitely a way by which it, it helped me find a lot of other people who were going through a lot of like queer discovery experiences that I was having and getting a lot of pushback for it, which made me feel a lot less alone and helped me do a lot of learning. And I think just like made me a stronger person. And now um, I have a lot of experiences where like we go into a club and other young queer femme people come up to me and go, hey, I remember when like you went through this and I saw how you were treated and how you spoke about it. And like, I learned a lot. And then I realized like, it's okay for me to go out and share queer space or like, it's okay for, you know, me to go out and do drag. And it's not because like I did something so crazy that no one else had done. It was just because, you know, they were younger than me. And so at that time when I was being vocal, it was someone a couple years older for them to look at and go, oh, okay. Hey, so if she can speak out like that and stand up for herself and she can be involved in these things I really admire, then I can do that too. And now those people are successful drag artists and like young queer femme people look at them the same way. And so that's for me, like who Courtney Conkers is, like that's my tool to actually be who I wanted to be. Like she was who I wanted to be first. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Would you consider yourself to be an ad, to be an advocate and an ad, an activist? I think I would in a way. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I think part of that though, like my ability to kind of claim that label is definitely based in a, in a little bit of privilege. And that mm. privilege comes obviously from the, I mean, the clear signifiers I'm white and I am for all public and pensive purposes mostly cisgendered I think but um <laughs> you know I, nobody, I don't really give a shit but like in, in in a society where we are dealing in binaries I am a cisgendered woman in a society where no one gives a fuck and I don't have to deal with the bullshit I don't really care but like I think that that comes from I've been given opportunities to do a lot of like public speaking because I was vocal at a time where there was just a lull in other people wanting to be vocal about things like misogyny and drag. And so I just kind of hit it and, and people listened because I was fucking loud and not a lot of other people were talking. So it was partially that like I had knowledge and I was speaking on important topics, but it was also partially like just pure timing for me. And that in itself is a privilege, I think, um, because it let me be listened to a little more. It also got me a lot of backlash because there was sort of less of us to take the heat. So we all took it a little harder. You just, you know, it didn't get spread around as much, but um, yes, I, I think I, I would consider myself like an advocate in some capacity. Um, less so now, I guess, because a lot of evolution has happened within drag and within a lot of the scenes we've functioned on in the last 10 years. And it's not because I don't want to do advocacy or I care less or I'm not still speaking out, but simply just that I am not as often forced into a position where I have to speak out because someone wants to say bad things about artists unlike themselves and I fall into that category. And so they hold me up as like a token example of um, someone they want to demand all the answers from because they don't agree with me, but they don't want to like do any research themselves. So they make me sort of answer for everyone. Like that's kind of how I fell into a lot of that. Um, 
So it's not that I, I wouldn't call myself an advocate anymore, but I think that maybe, I, I hope that maybe we've moved on in drag and in the wider queer community from having to listen to, and this is not to like downplay any of like the, you know, the, the work I've done or the impact that it had at those times, but like, I don't think we currently need to listen to a mostly cisgendered white woman speak about misogyny at front and center anymore because hopefully people understand those things now and I'm always gonna like be down to talk about those things and highlight when misogyny happens but I think that that doesn't necessarily to be, need to be at the forefront when we are dealing with so many other things within drag and the queer community that I think deserve a little bit more of a focus and that other people are better situated to be speaking on so that people like myself are not speaking for them and I mean, in situations where nobody's listening to those people and they need someone to come forward and like hold their hand and speak with them, like I'm fucking down to be that person and I always will. But um, I, I hope that the advocacy for the stuff that like I was experiencing and and that I was talking about at those times no longer needs to be screamed about as as vehemently in center stage. And I think that maybe like I can, I and people like me can like move over a little bit, let other people have the floor and like be allies to them. Um, that was a really long answer to say like, yes, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, it's fine. My, I, I always try to position my questions for my guests to go on tangents. Oh, I appreciate so, it, because bitch, let me tell you, a tangent is what I do best. <laughs> yeah, so the longer the answer, I always feel like the better the question. Wonderful, we're gonna, we're gonna do great. <laughs> yeah, we're doing good here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I know that you just said you, you, you don't necessarily want to be the face of, uh, of the misogyny movement and drag, but I do have one final question, one, on the subject specifically. Of course. Um, can you speak to the to the similarities and and the and the differences that happens with misogyny within the queer community and the misogyny that happens outside of the queer community? And why do you think that we have internalized cishead patriarchal misogyny and turned it inward on trans women? cis femme artists and the like insecurity and having not healed <laughs> and lack of communication um like i said before I, I think earlier i said something along the lines of like drag is like a microcosm example of like the wider um entertainment industry and the issues that happen out there i think in the same vein like almost almost comparably or, or laterally um the queer community is a different but occasionally similar microcosm of the issues that happen in the outside world. And I think that in the same way we live in a very binary, very hierarchical society in the wider world, sometimes unfortunately those systems of power transfer over into the queer community and a lot of the, the violence and harm that is enacted elsewhere is maybe on a smaller scale, lately maybe not, enacted then within our own ranks because people are not necessarily entering into queer communities or their queer experience or their space equipped with that larger scale knowledge. And 
that's for all kinds of reasons. Um, and I consider myself very fortunate and very privileged to have learned about a lot of those things kind of before I started like wading in, because I think it takes a really big level of self-reflexivity to go through an experience um, or get called on something or watch a friend, you know, get treated poorly by someone else or, or whatever it is. Um, to look at the situation and take it out of the individual and say, okay, you know, um, what are the power structures at play here? And like, what, why are people acting this way? And like, what is this a signifier of? And like, that's obviously really like a zoomed out way to look at it. But I think it's really, really important because I think in situations where, you know, individual misogyny or transphobia or racism or whatever it is gets enacted it, it, between two people when they're trying to hash it out and hash out who has done wrong and why and what impact they have caused and whatever, they have trouble looking at, they have trouble looking at why a person is angry with them or why what they have done or said has caused harm beyond the individual. They feel like they're being individually attacked because they are individually being quote unquote called a bad person. And if their individual intent wasn't to cause that type of individual harm, they get defensive and they don't want to hear it and they don't want to learn and they don't understand. Whereas if like we we take a deep breath and we are able to have conversations about why yes, okay, this was an individual experience, but here is why it is a problem when like a cis male person says this to a trans woman or to another non-cis male person and how that person has to deal with that all the time from all different corners, from all kinds of different cis men in and out of the queer community. And that's why it is a problem when you individually has said this thing and they have had a reasonable reaction, even if it doesn't feel reasonable to you. Like I think people think of these concepts and these conflicts and these treatments as very like interpersonal. Um, they downplay them. It's like just drama. Someone's overreacting to something. Oh, you know, I didn't mean it that way. And they're not realizing that like, oh, for the person experiencing it, a lot of that is a, a, a smaller in some ways reflection of like awful systemic experiences they've been having like their whole life at the hands of like so many people in and outside of the queer community. Um, and I think that's really, really based in insecurity too. I don't think we're all necessarily trained to A, communicate super, super well, B, upfront confront our problems in a way that can be productive with another person and C, um, take criticism and do so in a way that's not just like playing on all our insecurities and in a way that's like open and honest and and or to give criticism a lot of people might be right but like their delivery is is you know fueled by their hurt and so maybe they deliver it in a way that like they're not wrong to do so but uh, another person might not be that receptive like we're not always trained to give or receive critique um or requests for change or things like that uh, and then you add on top of it like queer trauma and then you add on top of it like <laughs> it's loud and you're at a drag show and everyone's been drinking like I think so many factors are at play when these things happen and and people don't get treated well within the community um, and that's like all within the framework of these systemic power dynamics at which some people are simply 
um, up to now have been and may continue to be just sitting at very, very vulnerable intersections of identity and experience. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, I was like, did I turn this off? <laughs> no. Um, I did. Uh, uh, were up phones and my dog was going off in the background. And I was like, let me mute so that people can clearly hear what you're saying. No worries. Uh, but yeah, I, I completely get that. I think that, you know, it's crazy how I kind of take that and I've related that type of microcosm perspective to reality TV because before I started this podcast, I had a whole YouTube channel where I was talking about the social awareness problems and the nuances of social interactions with people in the pop culture spaces. So mostly reality TV and like, you know, uh, pop culture news and like things like that. But, but like I would be talking about, you know, how the housewives are racist and how you know they're really colorist down to the Potomac and how Joe Rogan has been allowed to say the n-word on on freaking Spotify for 12 years and Spotify is now not only not doing anything about it they're standing beside him like like we own Dr. Phil mm -hmm. uh, Whoopi Goldberg with the whole the Holocaust was a white people problem. Like I like I like like I've covered it all. Jimmy Kimmel and his thirty years of blackface, and now his present xenophobia. Like mm -hmm. I've covered it, and so you know it's crazy because like I've gotten both of those responses where it's like, oh, thank you so much for speaking out as someone who's not you know a victim of the actual plight. You know it's good because people people listen to people who who aren't actually suffering from the issue for some reason it's like if yes. you're somebody who's like bringing awareness to, to something that you're not a victim of all of a sudden it makes more noise for some reason which is really fucking crazy because now celebrities are called clout chasers for using their platforms to bring awareness to causes that they're not a part okay mm -hmm. You have to speak out, but you can't virtue signal, but you also can't, your silence is deafening if you're too silent. And it's like, you have to find that specific balance in between, like, but it's always changing and, and it's like wild and it's demotivating to some people. So then they stop speaking out and you're like, no, 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 no. We still need you. Like That happened to me. Illegitimately. No. That's that's why I took like a three month break from my pot, uh, from my YouTube channel and I popped up and started doing this podcast because when the Will Smith slapped happened, the 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 black community turned on me. Oh no. And that's my final straw, bitch. That's my mm -hmm. final fucking straw. Like I can deal with white folks not liking what I got to say. I expect that shit. Okay. I can deal <laughs> with it. But when the black community tells me that not only do I sound crazy, but they can't think of a better way to handle a issue between two men than resorting themselves to violence while simultaneously not wanting the police to resort us to nothing but black on black crime. I was like, oh bitch, I ain't got time for this. Oh, ah, uh -uh. no, no. Well, bitch, I'm and it's wild because like that kind of like the mob mentality that's often enabled by the internet 
overshadows the specific nuances of more effective conversation, were there an opportunity for that of like anything good you were saying and anything good they were saying to be like put on the table and then like the parts where like there's not cohesion and you're not agreeing to be like actually spoken about and or set to the side because it's just like a pop culture free-for-all where everyone's screaming from their individual keyboards. And then maybe someone who's saying, okay, I see what you're saying, but also have you thought of it from this side, just gets totally steamrolled, right? And it's not, it, it, that's gonna silence people more than like encourage them to, to keep productively talking about these things. Because I was like, listen, child, if y'all don't want to hear me talk about it, fine. I'll go get my black ass somewhere and go talk about something else. Fine. Peace. Like, yep, bye. I, hey, like, like, bye, girl. Like, I, I got enough shit to talk about. I, 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 I have enough mouth and enough damn opinions to go talk about something else. Don't worry about I, I do not have to talk about black people's problems. No mm-hmm. more. Y'all mm-hmm. got it. <laughs> but then Kanye West ass went crazy. Everybody was in my DMs like, why didn't you make a video about this? Kiss my ass. Oh my God. Okay. That is a very specific thing that I talked about this once on Twitter. And I think I ended up deleting the thread because people were like, oh my God, this is such like self-victimizing. What was me bullshit? And I was like, I think you missed my point. When you are an outspoken person who so often addresses key things in whatever your arena is, and then something happens and you don't have the spoons or the bandwidth or the time or the wherewithal in that moment to talk about it, and you don't address it, whether it's just because you were fucking busy or whether it's because the last four times you chimed in, you got absolutely like bitch slapped on the internet for speaking or for having like whatever, you know, your contentious quote unquote point of view is and so you don't weigh in all of a sudden like you have the very specific experience of like having those people who maybe yelled at you for weighing in before message you asking why you're not weighing in or looking for which direction you would you would weigh in from and it's a little disorienting because it's like okay well i did do all this talking and so many people told me to stop to the point that I thought maybe they're right, maybe I should weigh in less. And now here I am not addressing something and everyone's pissed at me for not weighing in. Am I supposed to, am I damned if I do and damned if I don't? What am I supposed to do here? And it's like a very odd spot to be in because it's like, okay, well, I guess I have to find some common middle ground where like I weigh in because some people find my take value, but I don't weigh in too hard because like I shouldn't expend my energy where it doesn't deserve to be expended, but also maybe I'm annoying people. Like it's so hard to figure out the like proper spot to do it from yes it's so infuriating because it's like you know i'm one of those people that was like raised in activism like Mm -hmm. like you know to put a very light touch on it like i was like actually raised by like former members of the black panther party so like i've been like like i'm not new to this i'm like true to this so Mm -hmm. like (laughs) so like it really like fucked me up when I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, bitch. That's like y'all, that's like Martin Luther King getting booed at the Million Man March. Down to the mall. Like, what the fuck? Like, are we, like, what? Mm -hmm. You mean to tell me that the entire black community 
is going to sit thine hind parts on Rosa Parks' good internet and sit up here and tell me that y'all can't think now another way for Will Smith to handle this situation after I sat up in the video and gave y'all at least five. It's oh, okay. wild. What we're doing here. I see what we're doing here. Don't worry about it. Well, and it's wild too, because like, it's again that, I mean, it's to be expected in an internet forum, but like, I think a lot of people who speak up about, you know, whatever their their thing they're speaking on is, or they typically speak on is, I think we go into it knowing when, we're pretty self-aware. We know when we're gonna say something that's like probably gonna get a nominal amount of like backlash or pushback or questioning or contention or whatever it is. And it's not that you go into it intentionally thinking, let me fucking things up and stir the pot today. Well, okay, no, you don't always go into it. Every once in a while I get on the internet and I go, how can I piss off the men today? But usually it's because of something that needs to be said. And I just know that like the stance I'm speaking from is like maybe gonna ruffle some feathers. But when it's something that has like that much stir on its own, you're not always prepared for the reaction and the, and the potentially mass reaction that your totally reasonable take is gonna get. Right. And how personal people will get with you over something that maybe you're talking at a really high level. Maybe you're talking about like the social impact of seeing this image on like various individuals and how we consume blah, 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 blah. Like I'm pretty analytical. So like sometimes I'm talking about like wider view and someone will come in and be like, so personally attacking about it over something that has like nothing to do with me, but that I was still totally like reasonably speaking on, you know, you know what I mean? And you're just like, I'm never prepared for it. I'm never prepared for how like personally insulting people are going to get or how vehemently angry they get at me over someone who I'm like, you don't know that person. You are not related to them. Like, why are you so personally upset about this? Like, it is child, it is painful i because i was just like well damn like it's cr you know it's crazy because the reaction from the people about certain issues is so crazy like it just oh child anyway Anyway. That's that's how you have to do it sometimes though. Like you just have to look at the reaction and take maybe like what like golden nuggets of either, you know, learning you can from it and then mm -hmm. just literally go, okay, anyway, like that's that's what it is. When it happened, I turned into that gif of like Homer Simpson just disappearing into the bushes. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so useful. You just step back, yeah, and just look at the damage you've accidentally, how, or however unintentionally caused it. Yes, because like it was like I was constantly in between that gift and the gift of like the Joker walking away from the hospital burning down. <laughs> like yes. it was one of them too. It was like that. Those were my only moves on the internet for like months, and I was like, oh, I can't do this no more. It's just toxic and I'm getting real venomous and I ain't got time for this. Not on oh, the yeah. Well, Not and on that's this good internet. Oh man. And it's so interesting too because every once in a while, like the way things can like live on on the internet, 
And like, sometimes that's good because like, I don't know, maybe there was a learning opportunity and someone took accountability for something. And then the next person who encounters it sees what was said, sees them go, oh, actually I learned this. I shouldn't have done this. And then they like, whatever, they evolve and that's the goal or whatever it is. Like sometimes that that having it last on the internet is is good, but sometimes it's like, you know, you say something, you stand up for yourself or you stand up for someone else and then people react to it and the shit fire um, ensues. And then there's whatever outcome that there is. And then everybody moves on with their lives. And like three and a half weeks later, when you're just like posting a picture of your cat on the internet, you realize like someone has stumbled across it, but not read the whole thread and not seen the resolution and just gotten re-fired up about like whatever the original thing you stood up for was. And they get back into it and like drag it back out of its dirty grave. And you're like, I can't do this again. <laughs> like, and they try to drag you back into it. You're like crawling yeah. tooth and nail away because you're like, fuck, I already did this. Don't make me go back here. <laughs> I'm that gift now and then that all the kids is passing around. Can you record me right now? Find <laughs> somebody else to do it. <laughs> Not today, there's no time. <laughs> Not today. There is no time. And now I can really say that and really stand on it because I do two to three interviews a day, seven days a week. I do not have time. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm sorry. You're too busy thriving and it's not your fault. <laughs> I am too busy thriving, girl. I am too busy counting blessings. I, I, I don't have time for that, girl. I'm sorry. Like like this podcast tape tapes two to three times a day, seven days a week. And I do a whole other podcast on Housewives. And I, I'm in... <laughs> and I'm starting a whole um start a whole podcast on music. I literally don't have time. Y'all gonna have to find somebody else. Call Ebony K. Williams because I ain't got time for that. <laughs> but that's so cool. And also like learning how to set a boundary like that is a learned skill and it is a difficult skill and it's one that I didn't develop. I'm 33 now. I probably didn't develop it until I was like 29 or 30. Once you have that ability to set that boundary and be like, no, I'm sorry, you actually can't drag me back into this. Like that, my bad, like not even my bad, because like, you don't even have to apologize for like slamming a boundary into place. But once you can set it and just walk away, like, oh my God, that's just like, you deserve the feeling of freedom you get after that because learning to do that and set that boundary is really, really difficult. Oh man, I don't know what it was. I, I, I don't know if I just woke up and had an epiphany one day, but when I turned <laughs> 28, I, I am 31 now. When I woke up and on my 28th birthday, no was a complete sentence. For Absolutely. The first, for the first time, no was a complete sentence and I meant it. And I've been thriving ever since. No. I love that for you. No. Why? No. <laughs> There's no why. It's just no. I got a necklace recently. No, it wasn't recently, I guess, but a while back. It, it was right before the pandemic, so it feels recent because the years in between barely count. But I got a necklace that literally just says N-O. And no. that's all it says. And it's just my favorite thing. Like, I just love, I love to wear it to drag shows. <laughs> like, I literally want a tattoo on the inside of my lip that that just says no. Oh no. my god. No. no I don't want to support that. It's such a like and I it, like I don't even know how many tattoos I have anymore, but I'm not against that I'm not for like meaningless tattoos, but like mm -hmm. I feel like all my tattoos are probably weird to other people, but once I explain the meaning, then all of a sudden they make sense. Me having no well, right there on on the tip of my lip 
just makes perfect sense once I explain. Like, that girl just, no. No is a complete sentence. No. I love that. That's so, like, it's got weight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then, like, a, then I think, like, a year later, Violet Chachki went on the damn pit stop and went the fuck off. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Don't like that either. No, no. And I... And I was all over Twitter like, girl, that was my entire 2018. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. Y'all nobody, get it. Nobody can put a no into place with the finality of Violet Chachki, truly. With the finality. Like, it is a sheer fatality in Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat. <laughs> like, I love I, that, though. Like, I, I so so admire a person who even if they're a person that not that I don't get along with Violet she's she's wonderful but the even if I don't personally get along with a person there's that weird like removed respect you can have for their capability to like slam a boundary into place and simply say no and be like kind of unfuckwithable like there's always people out there that I'm like ooh, you know I might not know you that well or like we might not be that close or like whatever like maybe we're just acquaintances but like my my respect for your ability to just say no and it is a final thought and it has a period at the end and no one's gonna question that deep respect like good for you yeah because like i didn't like i like i grew up with that because i well i'm black and i grew mm-hmm. up with a black mom, and that was just what what they did <laughs> because i said so <laughs> no no like yep. like it and so like i grew up knowing that and, and, and then on top of that I, I was raised by glamorous bitches joan crawford <laughs> john carroll like Eartha Kid, like I like I was raised by these strong ass women. Claire Huxtable, D from mm-hmm. Moe. Like, I was raised by these strong ass women who stood in their convictions. So I always kind of had those examples, but I didn't understand it when I was younger. So I was a people pleaser growing up, and then I, Saturn's return happened for me and twenty. 20- <laughs> And I woke up and it was just like, no, no. Yep. And see, mm-hmm. like, I have so much admiration for that too, because like being a people pleaser really hits home for me in that, like, I, like I said, I was raised in a military family and it's very much, I had, I had a great childhood. I'm very, very fortunate. Like I had the privilege of not dealing with what a lot of other people deal with in such a context. And I can't sit here and say I had this like bullshit childhood, but it's a very difficult context to grow up in specifically for people who are not like white cis head boys because it's very much a mentality of the military is just a big boys club it's a big fraternity it's like any other uniformed institution out there we could slot a lot of things here and say very similar things it's it's a boys club it's a ranked system through which your whole like life revolves around and right down to the kids in school there's a big mentality of like boys will be boys and so the rest of you who are not the boys who will be boys will deal with a lot of bullshit naturally and so as a kid like I'm fortunate that I had like supportive parents who like by and large are very much on my wavelength even today with the exception of like a few things because you know they're my parents and you're never gonna 110% always smoothly chill with your parents but like I was very much taught to stand up for myself and the the ways in which I needed to enact that 
were like immediate, like immediately within my social context, not even in harmful ways, not even in ways that like I was at risk of anything, but just basic like disrespect, like just basic, like making sure that I could navigate my social experience with kids and adults, adults alike in a way where I wasn't being, you know, whatever, like bullied, taken advantage of, like treated in ways that were not rooted in respect. And like, that was something that I I was taught how to do it. I was good at doing it, but there were limits on it because at some point, especially as a girl in that context, if you say no too much or too strong or too loud or too often or whatever, and, and no is your first answer or whatever the version of that is at hand, you're seen as a bitch. You're not very nice. You are cold. You're not playing well with others. You're not whatever. And so I ended up at this weird intersection where when a no was needed, I did it. But until we got to that point, I was people pleasing left, right, and center. And I was doing that like toxically independent oldest daughter thing where like you overly explain yourself to justify all your decisions. And there's a 40 minute preamble of why you're saying no before you finally say no. And like when I finally just got to a point where, and I still do it here and there sometimes because I am behind all of my ranting and all of my like telling people to fuck themselves on the internet. I'm like, uh, like, like a crushingly nice person underneath, unfortunately. Um, and you know, that's a valuable characteristic, but like it does, it will get you walked on like six times out of 10. Um, so I really had to learn to balance those two things because like, again, especially as a girl in that context, like if they sense that your no is not firm, or you have to qualify it or justify it, like being made to feel like I said no and their follow-up question is immediately gonna be why. Like I always explained the why instead of being like, you don't fucking need to know why I said no. And that was the end of it. Like, so that part, that follow-up part to being able to say no, being able to like stand in it staunchly and not feel like I had to lay it out for people. Well, why I said no and don't feel bad. It's about you, it's me that's the part I really had to like develop. And now I'm amazing at it, usually. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I still work on it, but but you're right. Like I just reached a certain age where like you said, like, I don't even remember, I, when was it? I don't know. I reached a certain age, probably around like 30, 31 and like certain experiences we had where I just woke up and was like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Like the people pleasing part of me has, she's she's gone she's she did too much she's in dormancy you're left with me now (laughs) like and it just I couldn't do that anymore I totally feel you on that and I think you know to your point on that part of the reason why I was such a people pleaser is because I was raised in activism so I was like raised as somebody who was like speaking the truth as to why this change needed to happen so I was used to explaining myself so thoroughly with heavy with like heavily researched facts facts and like you know I was used to breaking shit down for the people you know what I mean and then I just grew up and got tired of that shit yeah listen girl you don't got to know why you don't got to damn know why at the end of the day, I'm not going nowhere because I ain't going to be there. <laughs> well, you. and it's so wild, the reactions that that might elicit in people and like how you are then additionally responsible for like setting a boundary with that reaction too, after you've already set the boundary you set that got the reaction. You know what I mean? Like it's almost double the work for you as the boundary setter. Like I remember, um, 
however many years ago, let's say like maybe six years ago, when there was a lot of controversy about like, what types of artists quote unquote could do drag in Toronto and how like that kind of spiraled due to social media visibility into like wider, it, it, it would always start about being about like the Toronto context and like where I was performing and a specific experience I had. And then it would spiral into like people from other places who didn't really know what happened, just speaking on the topic, which was like good, but it was also very difficult because what it ended up doing, and like this is an experience, so many people at so many intersections of like identity and like existence within society deal with, it was that I was I was constantly investing large parts of my day and my energy and my deeply limited time in like educating those around me who had the most basic questions I'd answered 7,000 million times and other people like me had answered 7,000 million times. And it was just sort of like, they didn't really wanna see that or they forgot because it wasn't important to them or they like didn't really get it when we said, it the first time so they wanted to ask again instead of going and like googling the very simple things we were saying and we were basically explaining like the history of drag and like gender performativity theory therein over and over and over to try and like justify our existence and justify the rights of like queer femme people and non-cis male people to like exist and have a part of and thrive within queer space and it was all shit that people literally could have just googled or like referred to past threads or like listened the first time I said it or like the people who then listened to me would come across like another thread where that conversation was like happening and instead of using the learning they got from what I said and explaining it and sort of like taking that torch and going on with it they'd like tag me and pull me into it and be like hey you need to explain all of that like again for like this person and it was deeply exhausting and it was taking up so much of my social time and it was sort of like I'd end up it gave me this reputation of like I'd walk into a room and people would go oh god like nobody do anything she might call misogyny on you and like and it, it was just like a constant process of like I put the boundary in the boundary my no was no you cannot treat me in a misogynist manner and then I was constantly being pulled into a space where I had to tell them why and I just woke up one day and was like no, no, I don't have to tell you why. Fucking Google it. It's basic concepts. We've been having these conversations in the wider sphere for hundreds of years in drag for at least 10 now. Like, no, I don't need to fucking explain it to you again. Like I was so done. And it was just like you said, like I woke up one day and I went, eh, I don't have time for this. And I just kind of, I mean, I might go off about misogyny and drag now of like my own volition if something sets me off, but I no longer do it in a reactionary way where like people are no longer allowed to pull me into a conversation that I wasn't a part of and make me do all of the educating therein. I can't do it anymore. And I shouldn't yeah. have to. And that's the difference. Like for me, I'll still make my own post about, you know, things that I see problems with on the internet, I'll go on my rants and I'll, you know, post stories, cut them in, you know, post, post, mm -hmm. post them on in the timeline. Oh, like my old content is still up, you can go and find it. But however, I'm not, like that's on my own discretion. That's on my timeline. If it moves yeah. me to Chris, I'll talk about it when I get damn ready. But like, I tell people all the time who send me stuff that they th that they feel like I should talk about. I always tell them, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Like, don't, don't, because 
people never send me stuff that is out that people never send me stuff that isn't inherently triggering to me yeah because people know that I'm the person that's gonna speak up about race they always send me when when somebody black gets murdered because they know that I'm um trans slash neutral they'll always send me the um stuff about trans people pe- people being murdered in anti-trans bills like they'll always send me the stuff that's inherently triggering but they'll never send me stuff about you know j-lo and ben affleck's wedding (laughs) well and i don't think a lot of people realize that like that is a form of enacting harm too because that kind of like steals your peace with no trigger warning exactly so that's why i've had to tell people like if you're gonna send me things don't send me things because I'm the black person that that you know will speak on it or I'm the trans person or the queer person that will speak on certain things if you know that it's something that could be triggering don't send it to me just post it on your stories and if I see it I'll comment on it but don't shove it in my face and try to bring me like sometimes I just don't want to fucking know And, and like I, that's sorry. within your well your that's within your like realm to not want to deal with that every day right like you're already dealing with it as a reality you don't need yeah. to deal with it necessarily in your individual conversations constantly over and over again and that's why because the the shit that y'all are sending me i live through so i already got to deal with it personally why do i got to deal with it in my headlines too like there's just some shit i just don't want to talk about Exactly. Well, and it's hard to when like, you know, it'll be say from a person who in their heart is well-intentioned and they're coming from a place of, you know, wanting to understand and engage with you over A, B, and C, but they don't necessarily like, I always, I used to say that I was going to tattoo this on my forehead too. Impact is more important than intent. I say that. Impact is always more important than intent. Oh my God. That needs to be on my throat. Like literally. (laughs) Literally fucking uvula like that needs like that needs to be just on my like like that needs to be on on my tongue like mm-hmm. uh, and it's hard to communicate to people that like hey i know you might be doing this because like you feel fired up because it impacts say like a person like me and you love me so you are trying to like show that you care about this but also and this is you know it's not an attack is that here i am like explaining myself again like it's not an attack it's not whatever out of my love for you and my want to like preserve our relationship please stop sending me these things because it steals my peace and it re-triggers me every time and also i think a lot of people don't understand that like you know this person that you have these kinds of conversations with might not know that you have 12 other friends who you also have those kinds of conversations with who are also making the large assumption that you want to see these things over and over again or you're the only person they talk to about those types of topics in their life so you've now spent 12 times that part of your day dealing with receiving that same hurtful mm-hmm. content and having to say that same please do not do this for me to me because of this this and this and by the time you've explained yourself or you've said please don't or you've ex- you know uh, unwillingly experienced that content over and over again like that's your whole day and it wasn't great like <laughs> it was a pretty shitty day there yeah. is no IQ being played today sorry it was not a good day <laughs> no so like 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 and for me the way that i've tended to address it and it's not as 
delicate as you so so stated for me it was just more so like when people send me this and like they'll be like i'm so pissed off about like 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 for me like like yeah like like it will be like my white friends or like my white supporters who like watch my YouTube content. They'll send me stuff and be like, I'm so pissed off about this, da 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 da. And like say it'll be like something like, you know, the police killing some 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 uh, unarmed black person. And, and they'll send this to me and be like, I'm so pissed off about this. I can't believe that this happened. This is da 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 da. My response to that will typically be, how do you think I feel? Mm-hmm. And I also think it's so interesting because like there has to be sort of like an awareness in sharing and speaking about very um, damaging content like that. I think it's really, really important to speak about it. But I just think that like, I feel as though I'm fortunate enough to have done enough learning previously to now and to be aware of how you can impact others previously to now that if I find a news story of you know, the latest stats in how many trans people have experienced certain types of violence in 2023. If I want to talk about it, which maybe I should talk about it, I'm not going to do it in my DMs with my trans friends who have also dealt with violent experiences because that's not the best forum to do so. They already deeply know. They are already familiar. They are already dealing with that reality. The people you want to talk about that with are people who maybe need to learn about that kind of thing. Uh, people who could do with a conversation about why that is so important of a stat to see, why that needs to have light shed on it, why we should be keeping this at top of mind as we like navigate socioeconomic experiences. Like it's, it's not that you shouldn't talk about that with your friends, but it's that you need to not reify that harm in various ways to your trans friends who are just trying to live their lives. Yeah. It it's you know, it's, it's like I get I get what you're trying to do. I get it. But just not in my DMs, babe. Post it or you Yeah. Story. And I think okay. that makes that makes it I love a, I do love a story post because then you can choose to interact or not interact and you have like the ball more in your coat the ball a little more in your court I think like building on this like I think that makes it extra special for me too not that I want to have like the standards bar in the basement or anything but it makes it extra special when I do find a friend or person in my life who like gets that without me having to say it too many times and who immediately understands that boundary and like the impact that sharing that kind of thing can have whether it's you know with me or with someone else or whatever I have a friend one of my very 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 closest friends who is host of a certain tv show um and she has been there on the sidelines sort of standing with and next to me when I've experienced a lot of like the really violent misogyny that I have experienced in drag. Um, for example, a situation in which I was like doxxed and stalked and eventually at the end of it, I was assaulted. And then when I spoke about that, I was not believed. And it was years and years of my life that went into sort of navigating this experience and like salvaging my relationship with drag through that because they didn't want that to control whether or not I got to engage in this thing I loved so much or the people I met through it or the spaces I could function in. And she experienced a lot of that with me, although she is like a long distance friend, so she wasn't present for it. And 
there have been scenarios in which like something will go down on the internet or go down in like a friend group or some somewhere in drag someone will say something or someone will discredit the work of art me or artists like me or whatever and and I knew that this friend in particular was a was a person that like I wanted to like like that was one of my people when instead of simply screenshotting it and sending it to me and sort of making it my problem that person started weighing in with the people involved or the powers that be that needed to hear it and doing a lot of that talking not in my place or over me but for me in arenas where it wasn't necessarily like psychologically safe for me to have to go in and like fight for my life in the middle and like very much didn't do that thing where they sent me the thing that like reified a lot of the harm that I like went through and like triggered a bunch of awful feelings for me. Instead, they took the knowledge they gleaned from speaking to me about it and witnessing what I had been experiencing. And they went and sort of like, as my ally did work themselves. And that, that is like such a beautiful thing. Um, and it's nice when you can find those people who, when you put that boundary down and you say, I don't want to see this anymore. I can't do this. Like, I don't have the wherewithal to deal with this constantly. And it's becoming my whole social experience. And I don't want to have these conversations anymore. The ones who go, who, who don't go, oh, sorry, I didn't know. God, I was just trying to da, 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 da. The ones who go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Noted. And then like act accordingly. Like that's really, really special, I think. Yes. I. I always appreciate the people who just say what needs to be said over there instead of bringing it to me and being like, you should talk about this. Why do I got to talk about it? Exactly. Why me? Well, so I got to talk about the race shit because I'm black? Like, girl, do you realize how that sounds? Truly, though. And, like, I know nobody <laughs> wants to, like, speak for, you know, on behalf of anybody or over anybody, but at the same time, like, you got, we got to split the work. Like, you can't just make me do all the work when I'm already, if I'm already doing all the, of the unfortunate experiencing part. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just put the weight on me anew. Especially when the reason why you're sending this to me is because you know my content. So, mm-hmm. if you paying attention to my content, then I feel like you will be informed enough to speak to the inadequacies and the nuances of this situation. You might, you may not be the most informed, but you do know enough if you've truly been paying attention to my content to know that that's fucked up and why. Exactly. And like, it's nice when like you do get a person who has been paying that kind of attention you're talking about and you see them acting and speaking accordingly and you know that like they listened and they absorbed and they learned and they're like prepared to like stand with you on that and like do part of the work like that's always just such a beautiful thing like it's such a relief because it's less pressure on you that is absolutely true I think that that is my whole MO now to be perfectly honest <laughs> Totally. And I mean, it helps you kind of cater the people that you really like give parts of yourself to and keep in your inner fold, right? Because you're going to know pretty quickly, I feel like, especially in the spheres we're running in, where like things are constantly happening. There's always examples of all the things we're talking about. And like, there's always those conversations to be had. Um, It's like, as much as I don't want to like have to start keeping a certain person at bay because of unfortunate topics like that, 
at least then I know and I can be like okay so like this is the level of friendship we're gonna reach and I'm gonna keep you here and that is nice and it is what it is but like let me remind myself what boundaries I need to have with you versus someone else and vice versa like oh okay you're a person who's like kind of navigating this on your own and we are on a mutual understanding and that's that's awesome and I, I come I'm comfortable like bringing you closer it's a it's such a process <laughs> It is. It's such a process. And the people who do the work do do the work and we appreciate you. And the people who don't, it shows. Mm-hmm. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Now, when it comes to you as an artist, when people hear the name Courtney Conkers, what's the first thing you, or, well, the first or the most predominant thing you want them to instantly think? a good one I think there's what I want them to instantly think and I think there's what I know people instantly think and I think there's a lot of crossover which is good um I want them to think drag coven simply because I think that we've put a lot of effort not that I don't want to have my own identity and I'm grateful that like Jamie and I are each individually known for certain things as well because I think that's just like healthy um but I I want them to think of drag coven because I do think like we've put so much we're eight and a half years into doing drag coven now and what we've tried to create the whole let me sparks notes the whole ethos of like drag coven and why we started doing it was that like at the time we got into this people weren't documenting drag in the same way as like a lot of people do now and so the whole goal was that the more people had access to drag with uh, in a way that was sort of free of real world boundaries the more artists got exposure to their benefit and fans got exposure to more artists and it's like cross-pollination <laughs> of drag right because so many people aren't able to um get wider reach as artists because of financial restrictions location whatever and so many fans who may be queer or questioning or simply just like really love drag aren't able to engage with it in the way that they wish that they could and that would feel really fulfilling and empowering to them because they aren't safe to come out they live really far away from a drag scene they are you know have a disability or social anxiety or whatever prevents them from crowded spaces uh they have little kids and they don't have that time to like invest in social gatherings whatever it is um and so to my knowledge and i've had i've researched this and i've had a few people research this on sort of our behalf um when we started and i think still to date we are were or are the largest and first of our kind like free contemporary drag media archive with such a wide array of drag types and from like various locations so i've invested pretty much every cent i've ever earned in the last 10 years and like um all of our time and like basically all of our like social capital and, and tangible capital into just the fact that i fucking love drag and i just want so many people to be able to engage in and see it and be part of it and benefit from the audience and the art that exists in that space. And I just think it's really, really, really important to document an archive, particularly because as I said, like I've experienced misogyny in drag because of the way that a lot of drag's history was poorly documented and or not at all archived. So 
I don't want that to happen moving forward. And obviously it's a little bigger than us now because drag and big important factors like the drag that we see on TV are such a massive phenomenon now. 10 years ago, that was a little bit different and I'm glad to have played a role in like documenting a lot of it and like enabling a lot of people to like see it and gain opportunity from pe people being able to see their work. Um, so that's just really important to me. And like we get paid for like certain work that we do in drag now, but originally that was like not the case. It was a passion project. It is not a self-sustaining project. All of our money has got into this. Like it's not, we certainly don't do it for the cash. Let me tell you, like we do it for the love of that. So, so when people think of me, I do think that a lot of people very first thing think drag coven and that makes me happy because that's where like a lot of my work even as a drag artist like obviously the way in which I do drag and have done drag is very very different than the average performer sure I perform sometimes but most times I'm behind the camera I am doing media and it's important that I am a drag artist doing that um because I do have like that experience that shared experience with the people I'm documenting but at the same time like my focus is documenting like the work that I do as an in individual drag artist is important. Absolutely. I think every drag artist does important work. And I think that that's like transgressive and like good. I think everybody should try drag once or twice. Um, but I do think that like, you know, and it's also important that like as a non-cis male person in the specific era of drag that I was starting it, it was the more of us there were, the, the better. Um, but I also think that just like my work with Drag Coven and the value that I put in it and the benefit that I can see it doing for people is, is a lot more important than like me getting on stage and thinking a little bit. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I'm glad that a lot of people think Drag Coven and like that's kind of what I, I want them to think. But I do think that a lot of people I think that if you asked me this question four or five years ago, 110% people would have said to you, oh, when I think Courtney Conkers, I think like giant rants about misogyny. Um, because that is pretty much what I was what I was doing because that's where I, I was being put in a position where I had to constantly speak up about it. I was experiencing a lot of it. And also like I was quite honest with you, fixated on it because it took up so much of my reality and my time and my experience in drag. I think that that's gotten less and less. And I think that people who are like new to drag or younger or who have met me since like I've drawn back from that a little bit in a, in a good way because there's been evolution and like I don't have those same experiences as constantly anymore. Um, sometimes, usually, uh, <laughs> I think those people would more associate me again, like with drag coven or um, with the fact that I'm just like constantly talking about drag and knitting and in some kind of chaos and like assisting somebody they know. Like, <laughs> I think it's multifaceted, but I think uh, I, I think mostly now it's it's just drag coven and I, and I think that that's a good thing. Like, I'm content with that. But I do know a lot of people who, when you say my name, will think about um, my angry cat that I post about all the time. The fact that I'm obsessed with knitting. Um, there is a, there's a lot of that as well. I got a, I got a few favorite things and they are in fact my whole personality. <laughs> I kind of love that. <laughs> I kind mm -hmm. of, that makes me wonder what like I actually wrote this question specifically for you. That that was my first time at asking someone that question and I didn't get a chance to, to to think about how I would answer that for myself. That really does make me think like what do I want people to think about? And th but then to your point of like, I wonder what people do think about when they hear my name. Like, I wonder. <laughs> Isn't that, that is a really good question. I actually honestly appreciate that question. Cause like, 
that's an insightful one. <laughs> well, I try. You, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I'm just out here trying to be the black Oprah. <laughs> it's almost like you're good at what you do. How crazy! Crazy, right? What a concept! <laughs> what a concept! Me actually being prepared. Ooh, chef. <laughs> Shout out to TikTok. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> What are your thoughts on the current state of the drag industry? Oh, that's a loaded one. Um, honestly, I, 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 <laughs> I think that it has come a long way from a lot of the things that I saw as challenges and roadblocks when I started. And I think that it still has a very, very long way to go. Um, I think that I've seen massive ev evolution in drag on certain topics and regarding certain problem areas, I guess we could say. Um, for example, I've said how, however many times through the course of our conversation that I experienced less like violent and volatile blatant misogyny just existing as a queer person in space. It doesn't never happen anymore, but it happens less. But I do think also that we face new challenges in, I, I mean, I think we all saw, did you see the, um, when the Chicago drag scene had a black Chicago town hall in yes. 2020? I think that things like that, that being one example made it deeply clear that there are other areas in which problems still exist and are flagrant and need to be addressed. Um, and, could use the same type of evolution that uh, that I have seen elsewhere, um, because I think that there are certain there are certain experiences that people who are not the dominant presence in drag have that have long been swept under the carpet uh, or grandfathered in as that's just part of it in a way that's like not appropriate and, sh and is harmful and should never have been the reality. So I see a lot of scenes doing an admirable job of calling out and tackling things like racism and transphobia. And I think that a lot of really great work is being put in and there's a lot of work to be done because those are things that I, we're never gonna reach a goal on any of the things I've just mentioned where we're like, all right, cool, solved that. Um, anyways, what's next? Like those are ongoing processes that have to be tackled every day. But I see those conversations happening more and more in drag specifically. And I think that that is really, really cool and really necessary, even though it is messy and painful and harm is still done within those processes. And there are certain people shouldering the bulk of the work and we all need to like constantly do better and be accountable for like the effort that we put in. But I'm glad to see conversations like that, that I know almost 10 years ago when I started, no one would ever have dreamt of having because the people who wanted to have them were still too scared or still experiencing too much like bullying and pushback and the people who had something to hide and didn't want to have them were still the people who were given the most like power and platform to talk about why that wasn't necessary um so that's a kind of evolution that i'm really 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 glad to see um the fact that drag has reached such a wild point of like mainstream visibility I think is really crazy to think about as well because 
I think it's got all of these amazing benefits and there are drag artists out there doing amazing, fantastic, wild things that are like precedent setting and history making and like the opportunities you can get as a drag artist, whether you've been on TV or not, are like at an all time high. But I do think that like, you know, for cosmic balance, I guess, there are a lot of downsides to that as well um and we see that in the hyper visibility of drag coming down on trans people because people who don't know what they're looking at problematically conflate the two in ways that are harmful and not reality and it is the most vulnerable people there vulnerable people therein that end up taking a lot of the brunt of drag's visibility and the misconceptions that come with people who know nothing about drag and who are working from a perhaps political or informational point that they are never going to understand and accept and learn about and be open-minded about something like drag and they are going to make people who they consider who they make the wild leap in and assumption are part of that drag stuff like they'll make them face their wrath that because they feel threatened by that um I think that that is a massive problem and something we all need to be aware of and we need to protect those individuals therein. Like people seeing drag and being convinced by like absolute far-right propaganda that drag queens are pedophiles and groomers and therefore taking their wrath out at a local level on a trans person they walk past in the street is a reality. And it's something that like we all need to come to terms with the fact that it is happening and we need to actively proactively and constantly protect our trans fans as a, as a result and that's like work that comes comes on all of us and that needs to be done constantly and i think that that is all part and parcel drag's not the only reason that that is happening but like part and parcel to that is the fact that drag is on a massive world stage right now so as much as it's this wonderful phenomenal amazing thing i do think we just have to it, it's like there are, are negatives that come with every positive and you have to keep like a level head about that because it, it's it's simply the truth and we're in a very strange and volatile socio-political climate right now and I think that people who have any kind of platform whether it's that they are a drag artist or like yourself they run a podcast or whatever it is like i just think that stuff we all need to be you know you can't beat yourself over the head over it and like never allow yourself to have peace but it is stuff that we do have to think about constantly because like we're going to be called up as like the spokespeople and the leaders of these communities that are being looked at kind of for the first time on such a scale and by people who may, who have a large level of misunderstanding and who aren't necessarily open to the idea of people that are completely different from themselves and they don't want to learn about it so they're just going to react badly like that's that's a pretty wild thing to think about but like at the same time you know i think that drag is currently filled with so much like joy and so much beauty and so much learning and so much like inclusivity that I think is ever growing. It's just that we have to be very intentional about like, I, I guess, cultivating the way that we all engage with that. And I mean, I hate talking about drag in reference to like just drag race specifically, but I think the way that we talked about like drag being a microcosm of like problematic things we see elsewhere in the world, like the way that 
queens get on Drag Race now and there's like all these wild economic impacts, but then also it's like generally understood that part and parcel of being on Drag Race is being bullied as fuck and having people come in and just like absolutely shredded your mental health and they don't even know you because they saw you on TV for 13 seconds. And then you are also a spokesperson of a giant community and you might walk Paris Fashion Week or be protested by you know, an actual bona fide hate group, like, and you don't know which one you're going to get on a day. Like that is, that's a wild reality to me. And I think it's like, it's history making, like everything that's happening right now in drag is quite literally unprecedented. And it's a pinnacle of like queer history. And I, I am glad that we live in a time and an age where all of that is like being documented and spoken about. And it, it's not going to be like previously where really important things happened within drag culture or within drag history where, you know, at that point, the only people who could really like talk about their experiences and write books were like cishet white men. And if they were going to, if any book was going to be written on any other kind of topic, it was going to be because a cishet white man wrote about them. And so when those men went out to write about someone, they generally looked for people who looked like them. So they only ever chose cis white gays. And that's how man dresses as woman became the the dominant concept of what drag is and a lot of the history of how black trans women invented drag and the first person to ever use the term drag queen was a black gay man and you know a lot of these important pinnacles of drag history weren't as well documented as they should have been and like retroactively they're being written about but now because we're in like a media age and drag is booming and so much is happening it is being documented and it is being very visibly laid out for all of us, both the good and the bad. And I just think that that is wild. And like, I, I can't even predict where it's going to go at this point. Like, I don't even know. It, I, I, I assume at some point, like the drag race framework that a lot of people understand drag through is going to have to break down because a TV show only gets so many seasons, but drag race is no longer the sole pinnacle. There are so many other like platforms on which like a drag artist can be featured and have a thriving career. There are so many drag artists who don't even want to be on any of the above options and who have never been on TV and still have these thriving careers in theater or these other venues. I just think like it's wild to watch the way that drag has worked its way into spaces nobody even really ever predicted. And I think that's where part of the fear and misunderstanding comes from, but I don't think it's an inherently bad thing. Uh, I just think it's a shocking thing <laughs> and, and I, I'm glad to like be part of it at such a time and like I'm for I think that we're all fortunate to sort of see where it goes I just do think that we have to be realistic and very cognizant of like the harm that comes with having those outside of your experience looking on you um, and all that comes with that I agree um, and to your point about the parallels of the nuances of the greater problems in society like misogyny, like racism being paralleled and channeled through the drag industry or, or like being targeted to drag queens. To your point on that, you know, I think that's part of the reason why I'm so obsessed with this conversation that we've had today is because <laughs> I that's kind of how my content became this social activism content 
um, when it came to pop culture because, you know, before then I had had a whole whole um podcast uh, a whole on podcast and youtube channel specifically just speaking to the nuances of being black and queer while while being in america but it wasn't necessarily from a drag perspective and i was early in my drag career when i did that but then it took a turn for me because i say all of that to say like I experienced the most racism I have ever experienced in my life as a in drag. drag. Yeah. Yeah. I ne- like I had never truly really experienced racism to my face. Like I like 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 I'm sure that there have been things that have been done and said behind my back or like looks that I've missed or ignored or 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 or, or, or you know shit like that. But it was never anything that was blatantly put in my face until I was in drag. I was like that is fucking insane. And then it just kind of became the base of all of my content after that. Yeah. And you know what I think is so crazy about that? Like we talked about drag and like smaller communities and like niche spaces being a microcosm. But I think one of the things that's true, and I don't know that we called it out, is that in being a microcosm, it it's also magnified in a lot of different ways. Like not that our experiences are comparable because they absolutely are not. But I will also say that um, when I very first started drag and I had my first like sort of my first year I lived in Ottawa, I didn't experience a lick of misogyny. If I did, it was like maybe super passive and it was just like some like well-natured like, you know, 60 plus year old queen who had never met a female drag queen um, asking me if I was a man like or pointing out that I was the only like queer woman in the room or like passive shit that barely registered with me. And when I moved to Toronto, Toronto is a wonderful place. It is a scene that I appreciate. It's beautiful. It's evolved. It's it's wonderful. I love my friends there. I'm grateful to, to, to work there. But it is where for the first time, like I I had never, I had experienced misogyny my whole life growing up in the military. I had never experienced violence that was motivated by my sex and gender. That was the first time I experienced that. And it was immediate and it was long lasting and it was deeply impactful and it happened in drag because in addition to being a microcosm i like you're saying i just i think it's i think it's magnified absolutely it's jesus it's so it's just it's crazy because it's like you know relating that back to how i equated these conversations to reality tv and pop culture you know i used to get so much pushback when i would create content about racism misogyny xenophobia all of these types of nuances and things and these discriminations within the reality tv spaces most most of most of the time housewives people would be like this isn't the show for that. This is, you know, where I go to escape. This is about escapism, blah, 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 blah. And I would say the exact same things. I was like, but you realize that this is a reality show. And in the context of this being a reality show, it's showing the reality of these women's lives. And the reality of these women's lives are just microcosms of what's happening in greater America, channeled into these allegedly, you know, strange little cities. Absolutely. So how can you escape into something that is just another physical representation of what's going on in your own backyard every day? 
Well, that, and I also don't think that like escapism should be an absolute where you go in with like complete blinders on and you are never ever aware of like what you're engaging in within that. Like that person might think, okay, this is my escapism, but that they should not begrudge you the process of like analyzing and being aware of what goes on within that escapism, particularly with something as widespread and hyper-focused as reality TV. Like what you consume begins to shape your social take and therefore like your social experience and the social experience you enact upon those around you. That's still important. <laughs> like, and I also don't think like, and, and I hear this in like what you're saying too, I mean, I think I have a tendency to like when people ask me to sit down and really tease out and analyze the nuances of drag, a lot of it sounds really negative and bad and like harmful. And it, and it's not that it's just that. There is also a magnified sense of joy and like a magnified benefit. And like drag changed my life. If I had not found drag and started performing in and engaging in drag, I would probably be in like a het presenting marriage I was not ready for with kids that I maybe never wanted simply because I, I was ticking boxes and thought that I had to do that. Drag changed my life and it saved me from a lot of misery and a lot of things and a lot of big mistakes. However, the, the magnified joy I experience does come with a balance of all the things that we are talking about and it's similar with that escapism into reality TV too. The magnified escapism and sense of peace or joy or fun or fancy free care, whatever, that you get from consuming reality TV also comes with the fact that you are being spoon-fed a message related to reality and it has A, B, and C problematic nature or portrays things in this light that should be talked about. Absolutely. And I, that's, you know, part of the reason why I've kind of based a lot of my content in having those conversations within spaces where people feel like I shouldn't be having them. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Just sit there and let people be racist on TV and not say anything and continue to watch and be triggered because Bravo is not going to put a warning label on this shit and tell me, hey, there could be some possibly problematic shit that, that that's going to happen in this episode. So why can't the, like y'all talk about all like like why is it that everybody in reality television fandom can complain about all the shit that they want to complain about but then the moment that I want to complain about oh this is colorist this is racist all of a sudden now now we're going too far now this is what we shouldn't be talking about but yet y'all can send send death threats to people and talk about people's families and husbands and dox people and that's perfectly fine but the moment i say hey ramona singer's racist now mm -hmm. it's blasphemy it's because you're right <laughs> It's because people don't like when you hold a mirror up to them and they have to confront their behavior and the impact they're having on others. When you call that shit out, it it forces their it forces them to be self-reflexive about what they're engaging in and how and whether they are in truly as they claim engaging in harmless escapism or whether they are engaging in something that props up these these predatory systems of power that feed on passive engagement with things like white supremacy and they don't want to admit they have not been taught to be reflexive about or like multifaceted enough about their own their own wants needs and identity to acknowledge here is this thing i like i enjoy it and it is okay to admit that it is problematic and i should in fact think about how i consume it and how i spit out what i gain from that because it could be problematic and i shouldn't 
prop that part of this up. It's good to talk about that, but people have a really hard time swallowing that. And if you're going to be the one who is calling it out and holding that mirror up to make them look at themselves, insecurity dictates that they're going to make you the bad person and not the systems that you're all talking about. Yes, 100%. And it's like... (laughs) Sometimes that's all there is. It's just, you know... (laughs) Yeah. Because it's like... There was a point that I was about to make, but I lost it. But it's... it To me, it's like... To me, it's like conflating... Oh, here it is. To me... When I hear people talk about the escapism in in reality TV, in context with the things that they're actually talking about, it always takes me back to that conversation around um, what people are calling free speech nowadays. Oh, yes. And what that really means. Because it seems like that word escapism comes up every time that we want to talk about problematic shit that's happening on TV. When somebody's being racist, when somebody is sending death threats to a child, when somebody is doing shit that 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 just that you would never want to be done to somebody if there weren't cameras in their face. But all of a sudden, because it's on reality television and it's good TV, now it's okay. Yeah. At and yet, I like I don't understand that like. Like, like, like that's escapism and good TV, but yet now we're qualifying, you know, derogatory speech, racism, misogyny, all of those type of things under now free speech. Now that's just free speech. Like, what, like, where's that line between free speech and hate speech? Where's that line between escapism and enabling problematic behavior? Absolutely, and it's like. It's amazing how furious a person will get with you even personally when you remind them that the the people they're enacting all of that on are in fact people behind the camera, like human beings. And like they shouldn't be subjected to certain types of treatment and or they should not be uh, protected from or never subjected to holding themselves accountable for the things they do in front of those cameras if necessary because they are simply people exactly it's really freaking sad and it pisses me off but it's like <sighs> it's like sometimes you feel like you're the only person that that had that is having the the um con- they could the conversations was like well since you're the only one that's willing to have the conversations that need to be had why don't you have them but then it goes back to what we were saying before about no (laughs) yeah exactly no i'm just not i'm just not no i also think that a lot of times um when I was in sort of the pits of, when I was in the midst of fighting for my life in in having all of those conversations previously mentioned, I think there was a lot of, if people tired out of, people would think they were tiring out before me and that I was just like going and going and they were like tired of the topic and they'd be like, 
sort of making the assumption that like I just wanted to complain or I was very negative or how, and how did I get so negative and if I hate it so much why am I still part of that or whatever it was and I, I think people don't understand that like that's very much not it I am not a, a negative person and for a long time I think I really did internalize that and believe that like god I really should I still be engaging in this because like damn I really have become a negative person but it's not negativity it's not that I I don't like this thing or I want to hate it or I only want to point out what's bad about it or I only want to complain. It's that I love this phenomenon and I love this thing and I love consuming it and getting all of the benefits and empowerment that I do get from it, but that I'm not willing to do so in a vacuum and I'm not willing to ignore the problems therein and the impacts that um, that these things I enjoy have. I, I, I have to be reflexive about it because my experience is determined by it, but also because I don't want to be the person that goes in, you know, with no awareness and like ignores issues and ignores ways that I may, however, inadvertently uh, prop up problematic systems and and hurt other people by just blindly enjoying that thing without thinking about the way I engage with stuff or what I what it is that I consume. And I don't think that's a negativity. I think that's smart consumption, I guess. I agree. I think it's perception. I think it goes back to protecting your peace. I think it goes to, you know, self-preservation, which people may call selfish, but sometimes you have to be that way that's what self-preservation is it's selfish absolutely and i think that anytime we think we're being selfish and selfish and enacting like what is feels like purely self-preservation maybe for us it is but i also think i've had enough conversations with like younger queer femme people where i remember one time specifically i and then i i have to go work (laughs) which i really didn't think we'd fill the whole two hours but i could just keep going (laughs) um but i i had a conversation where i was assisting um I used to tour assist my uh, Brooklyn Heights is a really good friend of mine and I used to tour assist her and um I walked into a drag show and I looked around and I got like really 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 emotional because I looked around and 90% of the audience was like very young queer femme people and a lot of them were in drag and it was no longer that I was looking around and seeing just a sea of like cisgendered gay men predominantly white who were there like to sort of do their thing with the drag queen on the side and not really actually like be that supportive of like the act that they were seeing and it was just a completely different audience and a completely different experience and like I kind of saw myself uh reflected in the people that I was seeing and I got really really emotional and like Brooke used to always say to me like it she it like was like a tagline of like Courtney stop crying because just literally everything makes me cry um (laughs) but good things bad things doesn't matter but like it was you know after the show a bunch of people came up to me afterwards and they were talking about I didn't necessarily know them but they sort of knew who I was because I'd been on the road with a person they admired and they said a lot of things about like you know I'm following you and I saw that you went through this thing and you talked about it like this and that just made me have like this realization or like when you said this thing about drag race or when you praised this or when you called that out um, that made me think of this experience that I'd had and people were relating to it and so I don't even think like, you know, when we think we're selfishly engaging in self-preservation or slamming a boundary into place or like being harsh or what blunt or whatever it is, it's not always 
just that. It's there are other people like, yes, we need to do that. But at the same time, like other people are watching you do that. And not everybody is looking at you and going, God damn, like, wow, dramatic or Ooh, yikes, harsh or wow, that was really negative. A lot of people are looking at you and going, damn, they had the guts to do that. And that was really cool. And maybe like I need to set a better boundary with that next time. Or, you know, I admire the way that they like spoke about this, even though they got like barbecued for it. Like, I think that has value as well. And that, but it, and it's hard to remember when you're doing it, but like, I think it's important. I completely agree. Now I'm, I, I, I'm gonna cut here and invite you back for, for, for part two, since you actually have a hard out. <laughs> I am totally down for that. That sounds great. Awesome. So, so this won't be a, 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 a a goodbye this will be and until next time so until next time when we get to continue this conversation and um we can dive more into drag coven your relationship ship 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 with jamie your own drag career the the etc what is next for you where can we find you the coven and all the things that you want to promote the next thing we are doing is we'll be on tour with the fat. Oh my God. I'm going to screw up the name of the, of our own tour. The fat fantastic five of 14, fantastic five of 14. We're going to be on that tour. We'll be traveling with it. It's a really short tour. It's only four dates, but it's, uh, got the season 14 RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, the top five who are phenomenal people, very talented artists, crazy, amazing cast. I'm so excited. We'll be on that tour in March. So if you are in Gary, Indiana, Detroit, Michigan, Winnipeg, Manitoba, or Toronto, we'll, <laughs> we'll see you there. Um, and besides that, I mean, we're on a little bit of like a, a rest and recollect our pieces uh, moment right now, but we are always around at local gigs in the Toronto, Hamilton, uh, GTA area. We'll be at DragCon in LA. Um, and honestly, like we're always taking suggestions. We're flight risks. So if you have a cool drag show and you're kind of in our area and you can catch us at the right time, chances are you can tempt us to come there because we are weak and unstable. Um, and we really just fucking love drag. <laughs> and you can find us. We are Drag Coven on all the things. So it's just at Drag Coven on both Instagram and Twitter. Facebook.com slash Drag Coven is where, you know, Twitter or Instagram gets the highlight photos. But if you want to see the silly outtakes where everyone's making stupid faces, you can go and see those on our Facebook. If you prefer videos, youtube.com slash drag coven is where all of our full show videos go. Um, and we film almost every show we see unless it's not appropriate to do so. So that's where we can be found. Um, and my social media is all the same as well. It's just Courtney Conquer. Um, Instagram wouldn't let me have the S even though my last name is Conquers. So I had unfortunately to sacrifice her. Um, yeah, that's where we'll be at. Love that. And on that note, children that has been our show i appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in to help me to facilitate this, this conversation and i want to extend a special special thank you to my guest courtney conquers for blessing the pod and giving me a conversation that i needed i did not expect but was a better conversation than i ever expected to have today thank you so much Oh my gosh, that is so kind. Honestly, same. I always go into these like excited to talk, but like never knowing if it'll be short and sweet or long and analytical. And personally, long and analytical is my favorite. So thank you so much for really just getting down and into it with me. I had such a good time and I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Anytime. Come back anytime. Um, we, 
we already have of a part two planned out that we have to get on the calendar but you're a friend of the show now so you can come back anytime whenever you want to talk okay thank you so much i'm gonna hold you to it have a good day you as well love now with you guys i want to remind you guys before we head out to be real stay in reality and always always bring the realness I am Brian K. James. This has been Real Reality Realness. And until next time, I love every single one of you guys from the bottom of my green heart emoji. Keep the mess in the message and misbehave yourselves. Peace. Bye, guys. going on everybody brian k james here and i'm so excited to let you know that this podcast is being brought to you in part by outlander media network outlander's mission is to bring you the most exclusive alternative content from across the web from the farthest reaches invading your space we appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in and never want you to forget to embrace your inner outlander I am Brian K. James, and this is Real Reality Realness.